Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Urban Outfitters, Fenty Beauty, and Expedia. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans, reporting for ConnectingVets.com, the military news and veteran lifestyle website. I am your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Today, we're going to talk about scam college. Man, some of the things going on in higher education have been nothing short of total ripoffs. And earlier in January, veterans were set to testify about unfair practices and failed oversight that saddled GIs with debt and fuels the student debt crisis to this day. As U.S. Department of Education steps up oversight, vets are calling on the government to tighten accreditation standards and protect students from these rip-off for-profit schools that are just interested in taking the money and not really helping our veterans who are studying to get degrees and certifications for better jobs and better lives. And we want to put a stop to that. So joining me today is Will Hubbard, Vice President for Veterans Military Policy for Veterans Education Success. And we got a couple vets in tow. They're going to share their stories firsthand about schools that took their money and left them high and dry. Let's first say hello to Will Hubbard. Will, welcome back to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks for having us. Always a pleasure. And Will, you're a veteran as well? That's right. Marine Corps vet, 17 years in, uh, continue to serve to this day. Indeed. And you are serving in the education capacity right now with veteran education success and uh, leading this effort on Capitol Hill to get these rules changed and uh, to get some government oversight. Never forget you're a Marine, though. I always, you know, I say we're former Navy, we're former Air Force. You're never a former Marine. So, uh... you know, we were one one big team, one big fight. That's awesome. Also joining us to share some important testimony here is Stephanie Pillay, an Air Force veteran, and she'll talk about her experience with ITT Tech. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing? Very good. And uh, just quickly describe uh, what it is you did in the Air Force. I was uh, a weather journeyman. I um, forecasted weather for the 9th Air Force, um, F-16 flight line and Shaw Air Force Base. Nice. Now, also joining us to share her story, Angela McMillan, a Navy veteran. Hello, shipmate. How you doing? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me. 
Indeed. Go Navy. Tell me a little bit about what you did with the Navy. Uh, I worked in the aviation division on NAS Whitby Island uh, for VAQ-135, the Black Ravens, uh, basically uh, working on the EA-6B Prowlers, so fixing jets. Yep. Very cool. I always loved it when you guys came aboard the carriers, too. It was like the, you know, we were a relatively happy ship's company of a few thousand. And then when all the squadrons got on a carrier, it jumped up to like 5,000 sailors. And I'm like, where did all these people come from? Lord. But uh, it was always great to see the squadrons and absolutely love the patches. I still to this day collect those things. And uh, Black Ravens sounds like someone uh, sounds like one I need to have because uh, I'm from Maryland and my Ravens are headed to the Super Bowl, it looks like. So wishful thinking, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> All right. Now, the task at hand, talking about scam college, universities out to pick your pockets and not necessarily give you the just reward that you deserve when using your GI Bill benefits. Will, talk to me about where we stand as of right now. What do we need to know about this situation? Unfortunately, and fortunately, veterans are seen as a hot commodity in higher ed today. That hasn't changed uh, since it started, really, in, and kicked off in the 1940s with the advent of the original GI Bill. Since that point, uh, veterans have been seen as a, as a really a true asset to higher education. Unfortunately, um, many schools out there are not interested in veterans for the reasons that you would hope. They're simply looking to take advantage of them for their valuable GI Bill dollars, not necessarily what they bring to the classroom. And so what we've seen over the past decade plus is uh, schools taking advantage of loopholes that exist in the system. Uh, and also what had existed is called the 9010 loophole that led schools to target student veterans specifically because it gave those schools the opportunity to go after nine additional students in higher ed using federal student aid dollars. Uh, we've seen this story many times before, and unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's ending anytime soon. Well, I'm glad that brought you to D.C., and I'm glad it created this firsthand conversation between the veterans that you brought with you and the Department of Education. Uh, before we get into that, uh, let's dive into what this really looked like for a few veterans. And Stephanie Pillay, as we heard, uh, you worked with weather and meteorology for the United States Air Force. And then you had aspirations of getting out, continuing your education and doing some things with ITT Tech and get some certifications there. Share with me where you started when you got out, what you'd hoped to do and kind of how it went sideways. Well, first, I want to say I'm originally from South Baltimore, so go Ravens. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I'm very excited. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, I had a medical discharge, so it took a minute to get me back on my feet. And I had joined the military originally because I'm from a blue-collar background, and the way I was raised, we just didn't have a chance to really go to college. It, it that was a thought process. You had to have money to go to college. Trade schools is that was where you went. And ITT in the eighties, I remember the commercials. That was the trade school to go to. That was I remember, you know, thinking, well, that's probably where I'll end up going. And, you know, before that's what they did. It was hands on skill trade. But when it had expanded into online and more technological, I think that's when things went off the rails. And I didn't know that at the time. And I actually worked at the school from the beginning of my education as a intake specialist for the students. And I was the person in between students and the representatives, the recruiters that would bring them in. 
and they, you know, were all about numbers. And then in my own education, having the teachers there, they paid the intake specialists or the, the people, the recruiters, a lot more than they paid the teachers. They could barely retain the teachers. And the teachers were not, you know, really qualified at all to be teaching us. It became pretty obvious that they were bringing in students specifically from that blue-collar background, that poor background, people who really had no knowledge of the higher education system, people who were coming out of the military. And a lot of the people that went into the military that I knew went into the military because they couldn't go to college or because they were coming from a, a rough background they had to get out of. So ITT knew that and they exploited it. And when that became obvious, I tried to get out and I tried to go and get another education somewhere else. I couldn't transfer my credits because they had this weird accreditation and nobody accepted it. And I moved to the Philadelphia area where there's some pretty decent schools. And then eventually I, I teetered back and forth and I finally was like, I have to get some kind of degree because there was no jobs out there for anybody that didn't have a degree. And then it was really hard to find a job because I was competing with people who went to Drexel and Philadelphia University and Penn State and Princeton. There was just very low paying jobs. Meanwhile, you know, my debt was probably three times the amount of somebody with my degree. And the interest rates were extreme because, you know, my credit I was not good you know, coming into that and it, it destroyed my, well, I mean, it destroyed my credit. And so I couldn't get any other loans. It just was this vicious circle that kept going and trying to maintain a job that, or trying to get a job that could pay for the student loans, let alone, a, you know, a living, it just wasn't possible. And meanwhile, the interest rates are accruing. I'm, I wasn't even able to pay a payment for the interest rate, the, let alone for the actual principal. And um, I'd say by the time it got, you know, I finally finished the degree, I was about $210,000 in debt. And I had a bachelor's degree in project management that nobody really paid attention to or wanted to hire because it was a useless degree. It wasn't, you know, something that anybody would hire for. And I was pretty poor for a long time until the Biden forgiveness came along. And I still don't have my GI Bill. That's gone forever. Um, and I was able to get a graduate degree through another school, but that was the only way to get out of that situation that was Liberty University. But it was it was a dead end, you know, because that was the only school that was accepting the credit. It was a, it just there's nothing I can do about it now. And I, it basically feels like I have no education. I did everything through grit and, you know, working in the field and earning my way up slowly but surely and working long hours and proving my worth. And, you know, it really just meant nothing at the end of the day to have that degree. It meant everything to, you know, work from the bottom up, which I really don't feel like I should have had to do. And I would like to get a degree in engineering, but I don't want to deal with that debt again. And I can't get my GI Bill to use it. So it just mm -hmm. doesn't seem worth it anymore. So I got the drafting and uh, it was an applied technology degree, which really isn't much, but it's a basically CAD. Um, oh, so okay. that's, you know, okay. drawing pretty. Yeah. So that was the associates. And then when I couldn't transfer that anywhere, they had now these online bachelor's degrees, which are just crap. And I ended up having to get that because it seemed like having a bachelor's degree was better than having nothing. 
but I was wrong about that too. And when did you realize, or when did you know the full worthlessness of it? When you went to apply for jobs and people were like, what's this ITT thing? It was a little bit of everything kind of all at once. It was working there and seeing how, I think the the biggest thing was when, you know, they claimed this 90% placement rate and they had all these recruiters. They could barely retain teachers. The teachers didn't understand anything. And they had one person doing the career placement and that career placement was always in jobs like admin and there was a janitor jobs. And I, I remember being like, wait, what? Like, how am I supposed to pay for loans with a janitor job? And, and that's not what I'm going to school for. How come you don't have ins at engineering firms or whatever? And um, when I would go to the places that, you know, I would get this job, they were like, well, how come you don't know how to do this? Isn't that a part of your education? I'm like, no. And so I would get stuck at a pay level for a long time because I'd had to learn everything on the job and I had gracious employers that would teach me. And it was kind of like within this six month period and probably before the first year was over, I was trying to get out of that school, but I was already saddled with about 40 grand worth of debt. within that first year. Uh, some total then your four year degree cost somewhere in the neighborhood of 200,000, $200,000. Wow. And of course, some of that was GI Bill, and then other portions of that were your own student loans that you took out to continue your studies, correct? Yes. And you lost 100% of your GI Bill benefits because they spent through that right away, huh? Yes. And then any other additional benefits. Obama shifted some things and you could get book allowances and just all kinds of stuff. All of that's gone. And they made the process of the finances very easy. But when it came to oh, yeah. applying the degree towards an actual job or even having their help to help you get placed into a job, it was minimal, huh? Yeah. Like one of the girls that ended up working there, she actually was going to Temple University, which is a very good school around here. Um, and they, she was like, you know, they, it is not that easy to sign up for loans the way it is here. And I didn't understand that until I actually went to try and apply at those schools. And they're like, oh, you've got to do all of this stuff. And that was not, it literally took two hours to sign all these papers. They did everything for you. They, they, you know, they tagged everything. It was at night, it was dark in the back of the school. And in this very dimly lit room, it was very odd. <laughs> at the time, it seemed pretty easy. You know, like, oh, wow, this is great. They're, you know, they're looking out for veterans and, you know, lower class people who can't afford regular college. That's not what was happening. Yeah. Again, they were mastering the back end of getting the finances, getting your loans, getting your benefits. They were great at taking in cash. They weren't so much at giving and providing a substantive degree. And the training that you would later find out was so insufficient that you had to get on the job training for things that they expected you to already know, having studied CAD in school. Uh, Stephanie, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story. And uh, we're going to track this now as this interview continues and find out more about what's being done. But before we do that, uh, let's say hello again to Angela McMillan, uh, my Navy shipmate friend there, aviation mechanic, uh, working as an Airedale there in the U.S. Navy. Tell me about your experience with Ashford University, uh, kind of what you expected when you started attending school, what your degree program was about. And then, you know, like we just heard uh, your experience. First of all, I would like to agree with Stephanie, uh, the idea that, um, you know, a lot of us joined the military for money, first college, uh, came from, you know, poor backgrounds or rough backgrounds. And 
um, you know, didn't know what I wanted to be and went into the military so I could save money and go to college. And, you know, so same thing, just that feeling of having that taken away from you after you've done worked so hard to get yourself from a bad situation or a working class situation and try to build yourself up. I think that's a story of a lot of veterans um, in general. When I first started, it was called University of the Rockies. It was local in uh, the Denver, Colorado area. I am from the Fort Collins, Colorado area, 60 miles away. Um, I originally graduated with my undergraduate degree from CSU in human development and family studies. And I was working at boys and girls clubs in an underprivileged population. And the more I worked with underprivileged children and families, the more I realized there was more I could do with a, 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 a graduate degree, with a, a larger degree. And so I was, as a mom and working, I started looking for a school where I could take courses online. And I found University of the Rockies. And I thought to myself at this point in time, it's a graduate program. Um, I was going in for a psychology research degree. And if I needed anything, it's a it's a 60 minute drive for me to the campus, right? That um, So if I'm online, if I had to take any in-person classes or anything. Um, so it wasn't like I was from a completely different state either at this point in time. Um, so I started the program um, with uh, a psychology, a master's in psychology. And during my whole master's degree, I focused my emphasis on research. And it was great. While it was University of the Rockies, my master's degree was focused on research. And I graduated with that master's degree in 2014. It should have been a red flag to me because during the whole time they were working on trying to get an APA or American Psychological Association accreditation. And they were said they were working on it this whole time. And as I got ready to graduate from my master's degree, um, I decided to do the master's to PhD program at that same time with the guarantee from my advisors, from the dean, from almost everybody at that campus I talked to, that they would have the APA accreditation by the end of the year. So I stuck with it thinking this was going to happen. Um, unfortunately, as I continued into my PhD program, I started getting more and more red flags. Uh, the first thing was, is all of the program designations went from PSY to ORG. Um, so it was an organizational research program instead of a psychological research program all of a sudden. And I asked questions about that, and I kept getting the runaround. Then they changed my designation from a PhD program to a PSYD. So PhD is um, philosophy, you know, degree, research, things like that. A PSYD is a clinical degree. So when I asked them when they changed my designation from research to clinical, where was I going to get my clinical hours? How is this now becoming a clinical degree? I was just ran in circles and circles. And then I said, for you to offer a clinical degree, you need to have an APA accreditation. There are some programs out there that, you know, don't necessarily require APA for research. However, if you're working on a psychology degree, especially when it's a clinical degree, it needs to have an APA accreditation. So I was upset they changed my designation. I was upset they changed my courses and my curriculum that no longer matched. And by this time, I had actually started working on my dissertation. And I had been talking with my chair about some of my concerns that every time I ran into these problems, um, I got the runaround. And then all of a sudden, our dean quit. And then all of a sudden, people just started dropping off of the campus and um, I was getting really concerned talking with my chair about this. And then all of a sudden, one day I get an email and they say, a month from now, we are merging, we are closing down University of the Rockies and we're being merged with Ashford. They didn't ask me if I want to be an Ashford student. They didn't ask me about the merger. They're nothing like that. 
Um, and so I started doing some research on Ashford University, and I found out that they had been closed down several times, once in San Diego, once in Iowa, things like that for the same things. And I and I called my chair, and my chair said she started looking at the whole dissertation process for the uh, Institutional Review Board for my you know dissertation to be approved. They changed almost all the requirements for that. My dissertation got rejected four times in a row after it had already been approved three times before that. Um, during this merger. And so I pulled out, I, I, um, I pulled out, I was, I was, I was terrified. And, but at that point in time, I was six months away from basically earning a PhD. They never got the accreditations. Ashford itself basically straight out said, no, we will not get this accreditation. It just, it was, you know, I spent seven years working towards getting a higher degree. Um, no, I can't transfer any of my credits. I tried to transfer them back to CSU to try to get back into another graduate program there to see if I could finish my research. Uh, they wouldn't accept it. Um, I, I can't get a job for the last year. I've applied for probably 230 jobs and this is, and this is every year for the last five or six years. Nobody accepts it as a psychology degree. Um, uh, it's embarrassing. I, you know, I work as a, as an educator. I'm embarrassed to talk to my colleagues about it. Um, my debt was $140,000 by the time I was done with not a degree that was useful. It actually affected my debt to income ratio and it prevented me and my husband from buying our home for about three to four years. I feel besides the fact that it's ruined my credit, that I have a degree I can't use, um, I'm at the same thing Stephanie said. I'm at a point where like I want to go back to school, but I just I feel I don't want to start from scratch. It just is it's, it's exhausting to and that that fear and that emotions that are all encompassed with it. And then to top it off, just feeling embarrassed and duped. Like, you know, I know I was smarter than that, and it just and it doesn't feel like that. It was definitely a rough road, just you know learning every single step of the way that at every red flag I could have turned away, but then I kept getting lied to every single time to just hang on that much more. And then they would be like, well, if we do And the, the thing with the, the dissertation is they had it approved and ready to go through. And then they kept denying it. So I had to keep applying for extensions in my program to get more and more money out of me. Um, so even though that the original committee had approved my first dissertation and was setting me to go forward. As soon as they did that merger, all of a sudden it started getting rejected and I needed to apply for extension after extension to continue. Well, thank you again for sharing your experience and, uh, you know, to both you and, uh, Stephanie, I commend you. You are intelligent women. You are, uh, you know, you've tried, you've done everything correct. And yet you were left with something that was useless Again, Angie, your GI Bill gone, right? Those benefits used up. Yep. Um, it really is frustrating. And I know the thing that probably burns almost as bad as the financial hit you've taken, both monetarily to your checking account, but to your credit, but it's also the pride that you'd mentioned. You know, here you are, smart, intelligent women. You're working, you know, in an education field. You don't want to admit that you got duped because who in their right mind gets duped by a, you know, scam school, right? But it started off as a legitimate exercise in getting certifications, qualifications, master's degrees, even PhDs. And on the surface, it didn't look wrong. You wouldn't think there'd be, 
even the eligibility to offer a PhD if it were not accredited? Like who offers unaccredited PhDs in America? Like if it's on their website, it's got to be worth something, right? It's a school. They maintain some sort of license to teach. You know, I just really do feel for you both. And I know that through this, we've learned something and it's not the end. In fact, you guys are going to go on to prosper. I, I would imagine you're thriving right now doing what you're doing, but we're also going to hold some people accountable. And that's where I want to bring back on Marine Will Hubbard, Vice President for Veterans and Military Policy for Veterans Education for Success. And um, what do we do here, Will? We recently came to D.C. to face off with the Department of Education. Um, how do we close these loops, man? Well, if there's a word I could use to describe the experience of uh, both Angie and Stephanie and many veterans across the country, it's it's simply that the experience is crushing. This is something that devastates your family, devastates your future. Uh, and these schools know this, but they don't care. The reality is what we're facing right now is what I call an asymmetric information environment. That means these schools know how higher ed works but they know that the students don't necessarily know how higher ed works. And they take advantage of that asymmetry uh, to abuse the system so that their focus simply becomes getting federal dollars, be it through federal student aid at the Department of Education or GI Bill dollars from the Department of Veterans Affairs in their door. Uh, and they have this, this classic saying called asses in classes, where all they care about is getting students through the door. They do not care about the outcomes or the ultimate education of these students. And that's really what gets us here to um, today. I do also want to point out that if it's not obvious, a lot of these schools employ experts who are are pros. I mean, these are truly professional people who know how to defraud individuals. That is their goal. And that is what they spend their time doing. And so uh, it's it's again, it's it goes back to that original word crushing. That's what they're focused on doing and they don't care about the results. Um, but to take it a step back in terms of what the overall landscape looks like today, I mean, we have what um, we call many call in higher education as the triad. That's that's the three entities that oversee the higher education industry. And that includes the state. So states across the United States, uh, the accreditor and the Department of Education, and all three have a job to do. Unfortunately, what we've seen today is these three entities are have either become lax in some cases, or the lines are blurring between the relationships. And so the oversight is really lacking, which is why we see the outcomes that we see today. But fortunately, right now, there's actually a process going on at the U.S. Department of Education called a negotiated rulemaking. And that's that's a process by which uh, negotiations seek to set up a new regulatory system and an environment that will hopefully prevent this kind of thing from happening in the future. As you kind of unpack that and we hear about the top three, the states, a board that is an accreditor or determines whether or not a school can be accredited for the education that it claims to be selling, and then the U.S. Department of Education, who oversees it all. Can any of them feign ignorance that they didn't know ITT Tech was a scam, that Ashford University had zero accreditation to be selling PhDs, yet they were taking in money for it? I mean, can any of these groups claim ignorance or is there some sort of collusion? Is there some sort of like nefarious angle to this where people just, you know, didn't care and wanted tax revenues or something? There's absolutely no ignorance, but you know what? There's also absolutely no accountability. 
And that's what leads us to these kinds of problems. The reality is a lot of these entities spend their time protecting their turf and they have uh, they have vested interests that overlap. And that's why we end up where we end up. All the more reason I'm glad to have you guys share your experiences here in the show and all the more reason I'm glad to hear you faced off with the Department of Education. How did that go? Uh, what are you guys fighting for? What kind of experience did you have in D.C.? I just want it to be made known. I know there's nothing I can do to rewind time. You know, obviously we wish we could, but I don't want it to happen to other people. Um, I don't want other people to be taken advantage of. I got lucky. I had a strong support system. I had means and opportunities to defend myself and uh, seek help. But there's a lot of people out there that don't have that. Um, There's a lot of people out there that don't have the opportunities that I even have and end up even in a worse situation. And I just don't want that to happen to somebody else. Right on. Stephanie, if you can hear me, uh, share with me your thoughts on facing off with the Department of Education. It was a little intimidating, but I agree um, with Andy that it was, I just wanted, I wanted my story to be heard. And I feel like if we all say something, you know, I feel like that would just do something, you know, anything rather than just sitting back. And, and I'm, I was also fortunate. I had people to believe in me, but again, I saw plenty of people that they did not have the same, the same support system. And a lot of those people, again, it's that demographic. They they know that there were that poor background. You don't talk. You don't speak up. You just stay quiet and keep your head low. And I'm not that kind of person. Uh, and, you know, so I didn't have a problem speaking up. I, it was pretty quick. It would have been nice to see more of how that went down. It, you know, I was in and out in like two minutes. But it got heard, and I hope more voices are heard. And we're back at CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy vet Phil Briggs, here each week sharing the stories of our military vets and covering the issues that matter. This hour, we've heard how vets have come to D.C. to testify before the Department of Education regarding their experiences with for-profit colleges that lured them into degree programs which did not deliver the degrees, jobs, and training they promised. Air Force veteran Stephanie Pillay studied CAD and drafting at ITT Tech, but explained she received inadequate training and was actually drained of hundreds of thousands of dollars from loans and the GI Bill benefits that she earned. And um, I'd say by the time it got, you know, I finally finished the degree, I was about $210,000 in debt. And I had a bachelor's degree in project management that nobody really paid attention to or wanted to hire because it was a useless degree. Navy veteran Angie McMillan explained how Ashford University took her benefits and loan funds, but failed to deliver the Ph.D. in clinical psychology research that she paid for. My dissertation got rejected four times in a row after it had already been approved three times before that um, during this merger. And so I pulled out. I was terrified. And but at that point in time, I was six months away from basically earning a Ph.D., They never got the accreditations. Ashford itself basically straight out said, no, we will not get this accreditation. So these debt-ridden students came to D.C. recently to push U.S. government officials to make real changes that will protect future veteran students from being scammed. We'll jump back into my conversation now with Marine Corps vet Will Hubbard, 
Vice President for Veterans and Military Policy with Veterans Education for Success. What do we need to have happen? Does this require legislation to get passed? I mean, you wouldn't think we'd need to make a law that says you can't sell a bogus degree in America. That should already be illegal. As the negotiations progress, what we're pushing for strongly is that uh, the accrediting bodies and the state authorization processes are reflective of uh, the student's interest and not really the school's interest. And unfortunately, the system is flipped right now. Uh, the majority of the oversight process is focused on supporting schools and making sure that the federal dollars keep flowing more so than students getting the education that they not only deserve, but have in some cases worked for. I mean, both Angie and Stephanie literally uh, spent time in the military and served their country for this opportunity. And to see veterans uh, scammed like this is absolutely, I mean, it's disgusting, really. Um, so as the negotiations progress, um, we'll be fighting and advocating heavily that uh, things do change and that this kind of behavior is not allowed. But we are under a bit of a, a timeline constraint because if the negotiations, uh, as they progress, if the rules do not come out by November, then the whole thing starts all over again. And so it, once the negotiations are done, it becomes the Department of Education's job to make sure that they write the regulations and publish them in time to meet that deadline. So a win here is DOE rewrite its regulations and provide stricter oversight to guarantee that any school that's taking federal funds, GI Bill funds, student loans, to guarantee that any school in America has to has to prove its worth, has to prove its merit, has to have accreditation in whatever educational category they're delivering? I think that's well said. I mean, the reality is um, all these schools that we've talked about were accredited up to the day they shut down. And that's that's a sad state to be in that the accreditor literally seeing these schools collapse live still let them keep their accreditation up to the very end. So that that can't be the case. We need to make sure that students are protected and that they're getting what they are paying for. And unfortunately, that's not the case right now. Right on. I know when it comes to matters of legislation, it's always reach out to your elected official. But this is a Department of Education issue. Who do we put the pressure on? Yeah, I mean, the good news is there is a public comment period uh, during each negotiation round, and there are three of them. So we're in the middle of the negotiation period for January. There will be one next month and one the following. And during that public comment period, veterans can sign up for a slot to speak up and tell their story. Obviously, these two women have taken the courage and shown that uh, to share their stories and share their voice on behalf of other veterans. So we always encourage that others who may have had a negative experience reach out to us or the Department of Education to make their voice heard so that those rules truly reflect the interests of students and not the interests of multi-billion dollar enterprises. What's your gut feeling? Do you feel you're being heard? I think so. I mean, that's not really the challenge, unfortunately. Um the current secretary has been incredibly receptive and supportive of veterans. Uh, the real issue is is both with Capitol Hill and making sure that the laws are written appropriately and that the regulations don't water those laws down. Um, once they're written and they're ready to go, we want to make sure that the the minutia and, and the actual application of the law reflects the interests of students and is not is not negatively affected by the interests of schools. What's a listener to do? How do I get involved? Where can I help make my voice heard and put some pressure on this so we get the 
you know, we get the regulations changed. Yeah, I'd love for anybody who's interested in in taking uh, their story and sharing it publicly to reach out to our team so that we can uh, get that in front of the Department of Education. And they can always reach out to us either by going to our website, vetsedsuccess.org, or just reaching out to our legal team uh, who offers 100% free, totally pro bono legal support at help at vetsedsuccess.org. Right on. Vetsedsuccess.org. And uh, again, Marine Corps veteran Will Hubbard there with uh, Veterans Education for Success, a great organization. And uh, glad you guys have your sleeves rolled up and are ready to fight the fight. Uh, Real quick, let's end here. Start with uh, you, Stephanie. What do we do today? Uh, I know there's got to be a silver lining here or you're doing great things in this world, in your community, where you live. Where do you work? What do you do today? With the drafting degree, I just kind of kept plugging away at that and I found a really great small structural engineering firm and the guy there, he's a mensch. He's just the the principal of the companies. He was able to see some potential. And for the past uh, seven years, I've been working with him. And now I'm um, the senior designer on the team. And um, I pretty much run the the drawing, the design department and manage our, uh, I'm a BIM manager. And I don't know if you know what that is, but it's been a blessing. It's absolutely been a blessing. Amen. As no, are you. I know a, you're doing great things in your community and you're going to continue to succeed. You're going to continue to succeed because that's what veteran students do, right? We do not give up. We keep driving forward. And uh, speaking of that, Angie McMillan, talk to me about what you do today and uh, you know how you're thriving. Um, I'm actually a psychology instructor at a local, uh, co- two local community colleges. I work part-time at both. I still do my volunteer work um, with uh, different organizations, especially that work with youth and try to talk to them about their future and, you know, what directions they want to go. So I really try to stay active in my community to make sure that this doesn't happen to uh, people who are going to who are in community colleges or in high school or want to transfer to a four year program that this doesn't happen to them. Not only just teach courses, but talk to students about, you know, like what is an actual legit four year transfer degree look like? I couldn't think of anybody better to help guide our next generation than you. And certainly having lived through all of these experiences, Angie McMillan, Stephanie Pillay, and uh, Will Hubbard. Thank you guys all for your time today and uh, best of luck. We're going to continue to track this. Will you come on back anytime we need to, uh, you know, shake some more fists and uh, get this done. We have till November. So I expect to hear you back here sometime this summer. Thank you. We appreciate it. It's always a pleasure. For ConnectingVets.com, I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs, and I'll be back again next week with more stories from inspiring military vets when CBS Eye on Veterans returns. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Eye on Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. 
Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.